There are a lot of online dangers for your kids on the internet, but one of them is sextortion. Hello, I'm Richard Pyatt from Legally Speaking here at the Utah Attorney General's Office. Joining me today to talk about sextortion is Special Agent Sarah Lundquist, who works expressly on those cases and helps people, victims, and helps prosecute perpetrators. Sarah, thanks for coming in today. Sure, thank you. So talk about extor- sextortion. How common is it? How vicious does it get for victims? This is actually something that's increasing exponentially over the last few years. It is fairly new to the country starting about 2016 and 17. Uh, We started seeing that trend increasing, and especially with some very specific cases in Utah that were kind of catalysts for how laws became written in Utah. Um, And we're seeing it just increase a lot since COVID especially. And it's kind of morphed as law enforcement has become aware of how it's working. The suspects that we investigate are constantly changing tactics. So the scenario is a young person, or maybe not even a a young person, maybe an an older person in their 20s or, or 30s, gets online, starts thinking that they're talking to someone that they would potentially date, and it goes south at some point where the person starts to starts to force them to provide sexually provocative material. Am I oversimplifying it? It can go that direction. It, I would say it's even more simple where they don't even necessarily think they're going to date. It's just somebody they become new friends with online. I can't speak so much about the adult victims because those aren't the ones we investigate. But with the kids, they're always looking for new friends online. Unfortunately, they make decisions to add friends that they don't know in real life. And then they send them pictures of themselves? That or the conversation just starts out innocently. But the trends we're seeing now is those who are doing the the extorting escalate the conversation very quickly. They start turning it into a sexual nature and start asking to exchange videos or pictures of each other. If I send you this, will you send me this? And they may send, the suspect may send fake files to them to make them believe that they're really sending them something to convince the child that, okay, now it's your turn to send. And sometimes the the child actually does respond quickly and sends it an image immediately. Others will be a little bit more leery and try to look for proof as to why they should if they're real, um, but may eventually relent. And then there's some that just don't, luckily, and, and get turned off by it. So the sextortion part of it is that the cycle never ends. They're constantly being asked for more material or they'll expose them, maybe compromise them in some way, post unflattering pictures that their family and friends can see. One problem as well that we see with the kids is their profiles are very open. They're not as private as they should be. And so when they add friends, quote-unquote friends, end up being able to see their the other friends on their list. And so what they'll do very often is tell them that if they don't send them the picture, send them what they want, what they're asking for, whether it's more images or money, that they will expose them. Um, they take screenshots of their friends list and show them, I know who all your friends are. I will send these pictures out if you don't give me what I want. And we've seen that happen. They do actually send those to friends. And we've even received reports from those friends to say, I just received this weird message from somebody I don't know. Or they'll tell the victim, hey, somebody just sent me this image of you. What is What is going on? So their threats are real. They really do send out the things that are make them the most vulnerable. So this sounds like for, especially for a teen, this could be really devastating emotionally. Yes, and we've seen that with specific victims that we've worked with, that it can turn deadly, in fact. 
who are these people that are doing this? Is this are these people like within Utah? Are they from out of state? Are they from overseas? Right now, the trend we're seeing is that a lot of them are overseas as far as the people doing the chatting, the suspects doing the chatting. We don't necessarily believe they are always the ones getting the money. That's where we're focusing our investigations right now is to see who's actually getting the money that is sent if it's sent. And sometimes those leads end up somewhere in the United States. And then there are also victims and suspects within the state. But right now, the trend is out of country. So, I mean, it's really common. We're... I'm talking to you at a, you know, a cafe right now. There's teenagers across the room that have whipped out their phones and they're on there. They're probably chatting with people. So what are the chances that they're going to encounter someone? How common is this now or how common is it becoming? It is exploding exponentially. And we started seeing more reports just with children being victimized anyway through COVID because more kids were home, more suspects were home. But that hasn't relented since the COVID pandemic is essentially over. And just in this last year, in these last few months, as we've really started tracking the amount of sextortion cases we're getting, we've, since I believe April, since we started tracking, we've had over 70 reports just coming through the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. We also get reports that people are calling the ICAC tip line to make reports directly to us. It is increasing exponentially. And as long as these kids are willing to make friends with somebody they don't know, they are at risk. Is it like they're calling for help when they call us? Sometimes it's the parents. Every once in a while, we'll get a a victim that calls us. Um, Surprisingly, we actually have child victims that know the contact information for the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, and we'll call them and report it, which then ends up in Utah ICAC's hands to investigate, and we move forward with those. Sometimes they're calling their local PDs as well which is a good thing because they actually can act faster as usually reports that we get are more delayed. And luckily, we have affiliates throughout the state that can assist in working those cases because they're trained through ICAC. What are the likelihood that you can prosecute these people? You can't really do anything with someone that's overseas. How do you stop it if it's somebody, uh, you know, stateside and overseas? Is there a way that you could stop it in either case or just in one of the cases? Well, stateside, if we can prove who it is and they're within the United States anywhere, we'll work with other ICACs if it's out of state to get help or pass the case on to them if the suspect's out of state. Oftentimes, though, with these cases, we're just reaching out to the victims to ensure they're safe and to see if there are any services we can offer because these cases that are out of country, we work with the feds who then work with partners out of country, but oftentimes those end up as dead ends. So our biggest priority because of the safety of kids and their reputations perceived to be ruined forever, we really try to make contact with as many as we can so that we can ensure they're safe and give some resources to the family. So if I was a parent, how freaked out should I be about this, worrying about my kid? I think they should be freaked out. As vulnerable as kids really can be with as open as they are without being educated and work with their parents on how to responsibly use social media, they are at a very high risk. They shouldn't be friends with somebody they don't know in person, and their parents should know who they're friends with. Their accounts need to be locked down as tight as they possibly can so that they're not at risk, but then also knowing that it's safe to go to their parents when they've made a poor decision in the heat of the moment, that it's okay that the world isn't going to end, their life will go on, and that they're safe. If the kids don't feel like they can go to their parents, yeah, there are other resources. Uh, you mentioned earlier the 
Safe UT app when we were chatting before we started recording. Yes, the Safe UT app, which my understanding is, is used actually quite frequently by, by kids when they're reaching out for help. There's also any other trusted adult that they think they can go to, whether that's a school teacher, clergy, gosh, even a doctor, some leader of a club, any, any other adult, another family member, somebody that they know will listen to them and help them, absolutely. What are some cases that you've handled that are here in Utah that that stick out in your mind that you would call sort of notorious or instructive at least? So I worked a case involving a young man named Gabe Gilbert. His case actually helped us in getting our Utah statute changed because of some flaws that we found within the statute. He was a young man out of South Jordan who had a pornography addiction, and he used social media to seek that out. And somehow he turned from seeking it out in all the places you can get it without victimizing. He started victimizing girls online using Snapchat. And he was so relentless in his extorting. He was out there looking for more images. He wasn't asking for money. We weren't really seeing the money trend yet. And he had started this sextortion when he was 17 years old. The way the statute was written at the time is only adults could commit the crime, so any of the victims he had when he was 17 couldn't be prosecuted for the same crime. He was using Snapchat and the locations these girls had, if they had them turned on, he would send screenshots screenshots of these girls' homes down to the house level and say, if you don't send me what I'm asking for, I will send rapists and human traffickers to your house. So those are, so those are like outright threats. Those are like old school threats. We're going to harm you if you don't give us what we want. Yes, and those are serious offenses. And what was a positive thing out of the case is the victim actually did report to Snapchat. One of the victims reported to Snapchat what was going on. Snapchat looked at the files, looked at the conversations that were saved, and reported it to the National Center for Missing Exploited Children. They looked at the data. They figured they needed to be sent to Utah ICAC. And the thing that was different with this is Snapchat's meant to be a secretive app. It's meant so you don't save things on there. It's, right. it's he saved a lot. Normally with these cases, we can't do a lot with Snapchat because of the nature of it, but he saved a lot of what he had done. And I could see many conversations with, it. I mean, at least 50 victims. The only thing is I had to try to identify these girls and I had to do something that we actually advise kids against doing. And I used my undercover account to reach out to these girls in hopes that I could get them to trust me and to give them all the contact information I could to show that I was a legitimate investigator and I was only able to get really four girls to respond. The original victim, it was a bit harder to track her down. Um, I was able to find a local Utah victim. I found two victims in New York, one in Tennessee, and then the original victim in Texas. And those are the ones we prosecuted on. He's currently sitting in prison for at least five years on each count. So in your opinion, are there a lot of Gabe Gilberts out there that maybe we don't know about yet? I think absolutely. Um, one of the things that was unique to his story is that he checked all the boxes for being a good kid on the outside. Not everyone knew what was what he was doing secretly, and he ended up going on an LDS mission as this investigation was going on. I found that out, and ultimately he ended up being sent home, and then that's when he was charged for these crimes. One of the biggest things is these suspects can be anybody. To start putting specific labels, and they look like this, or they sound like that, or whatnot, those just don't work. Predators come in all shapes and sizes. I imagine that if a parent finds out their child is involved in something like this, they want to try to seek out help, but really better to try to prevent it from happening at all, isn't it? Absolutely. Any ideas 
for parents. I mean, the draw to social media is just, I mean, it's, it's impossible to overcome that. Kids want to be on social media. Everyone's on it. It's becoming normalized. Yet it's fraught with all kinds of all kinds of dangers, and it's almost a cliche. You know, the dangers are out there, but they're real. They're absolutely real. And the biggest thing when we go out and give presentations to the public in whatever format, whatever setting, the biggest thing we talk about is education and having that open line of communication. Parents need to know what apps are out there, what apps their children are using, understand how they work, and be willing to have age-appropriate conversations about what their child is able to do online, should do online, and set some boundaries and some rules. And one of the biggest things we suggest is come up with those rules together. What are we, as a parent and child, going to allow at your age to do online? And come up with the punishment if they decide to break that rule and do that together so there's accountability. But having those conversations are key. You cannot pretend that this isn't happening. The kids need to know and they need to be educated. And and there needs to be limits set on phones as well. Every parent gets to decide how to have the conversations with their children based on their education level, however they know that they'll get the message. Biggest thing, kids know how to use phones better than any parent anymore. And so that's why you can't just put some special software on the phone and just help hope it does all the work for you. Those conversations have to happen. Okay. Is there anything else that you think is helpful to point out before I wrap all this up? Just the biggest thing is, like you said, social media is, it's here and it's really not going away. And we can't pretend. When you think about how adults handle social media, they can't handle it responsibly. We can't expect our kids to do that as well. It's true. Currently, the state's actually, the governor's office is actually starting a campaign to help educate families as well. We plan on using those statistics that they're offering as part of our presentations to help families in Utah understand what these apps are doing to affect our kids' mental health yeah. and then make more decisions based on that as well to really decide what's best for their family. It's hard. It's hard on families. I mean, the parents, I mean, you just got to kind of roll up your sleeves and dig in there. There's no, there's not like really a nice way of doing it. Yeah, it's, you know? it's just not an option. Can't pretend it's not happening. Special Agent for the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, Sarah Lundquist, thank you very much for educating us on extortion. Thank you. I'm Rich Pyatt from Legally Speaking. We'll talk to you next time.